This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Shouldn't you be at work? It's a lovely chip! Oh, it's a brilliant goal! From Lord Pohino! Still it's not away. Southgate shot. Milosevic scores. Now you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh. Hello and welcome back to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? I'm Chris Gold. Joining me as always, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And a man who has produced more podcasts than Peggy Arfisad has played Premier League games. It's Michael Bard. Hello. Now, Chris, the way you yes. said that has actually alerted me to an email we've got. We will get on with the 90s o'clock news, but we've got an email this evening, just before recording... And I enjoyed it so much that I replied to him straight away and said, this really made me laugh. And this is from Sam King. Hi, lads. Hope all is well. Loving the new series of Quickly Kevin. Great content uh, and great regular tropes from you three. So great, in fact, that I've decided to come up with a Quickly Kevin bingo card. Something all Quickly Kevin fans can play while listening to the episodes of the podcast. Oh, lovely. I've come up with a few suggestions for the card and call on fellow Quickly Kevins to provide any more they may have. Yes, please. Here's what I've got. Tick them off as you hear them. I'm going to tick off the first one already. Chris pronounces something wrong. (laughs) (laughs) In brackets, see Cagliari. Close brackets. Uh, Peggy Arfasad, or whatever you just called him. I'm, I'm having it, Chris. Do you want to hear the other ones? Yeah, let's go for it. Chris says something that astonishes Josh Michael, the guest. See, Alan Hansen was a really good defender. (laughs) (laughs) Michael tells a story from his childhood that he thinks he may have told on a previous episode, but isn't 100% sure. Spoiler alert, he hasn't told the story before. Josh has a dig at Peter Schmeichel's inability to deal with lobs. Michael reacts to Josh's dig at at Peter Schmeichel's inability to deal with lobs. Josh claims the upcoming interview is the best stroke most enjoyable interview he's done. <laughs> Chris relates something said in the interview to West Ham. <laughs> Guilty. Chris loses the quiz. Yuri Geller is mentioned. Yuri Geller is dissed. 
keep up the excellent work sam king from london that's lovely really strong yeah um do send in your additions to the quickly kevin bingo now is it peggy arfissa what how do you say it (laughs) come on mate i'm I'm second guessing i think it's peggy arfexa what do you think i think you've got to pronounce the x in there somewhere yeah i thought it was peggy arfissad i mean who knows knows? (laughs) it's not that important anymore no it's it's a lovely way to start the episode though because it i was thinking i've got to remember to do that bingo episode within four words i've got a hint as to how i was going to link into it well you know peggy office had as well is timely because he's the top story on the 90s o'clock news should we get into it yes please Headquarters of ITN News at 10 with Chris Scull. Peggy Arfisad denies porn star role. <laughs> and uh, how Steve Frog had met his wife. Now, top story. By the way, what how Steve Frog has met his wife has kicked off on the Patreon message board, the Patreon <laughs> forum. It's not it's not related to the Peggy Arfisad porn story, is it? <laughs> This is what we finally found out. Someone said on the forum, here's a link to how Steve Frog met his wife, but don't click on it if you don't want to be disappointed. And a lot of people, the people below have not clicked on it because no one wants it ruined for them. I'd prefer never to know how Steve Frog met his wife. Well, we've got our live show coming up at the Lowry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Why don't we do the big reveal? We'll do the big reveal. If we've got time, of course. <laughs> if we've got time. <laughs> We'll make sure we protect a couple of minutes to tell the story. But anyway, back to our top story. Now, you may have, if you've read Muzzy Is It's autobiography um, called My Story, surely you could have come up with a better title than that. Um, You'd think with a name like Muzzy Is It, there's a pun there, isn't there? Like, is it? Even just, is it? Question mark. Yeah, is it? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we've workshopped a better title in 30 seconds there. Muzzy's had his whole life. Is this it? But the is is spelt with a double Z as Uh, well. That's nice, yeah. So this is a quote from uh, Muzzy in in his autobiography, My Story. He says, when Peggy went for a pee, he didn't shake it, he kicked it. The joke in in the dressing room was that he used to feed it mice, referring, of course, to his penis. It was allegedly so massive that everyone would talk about it. And in the years since, rumours have gone round that Peggy Arfexad is a porn star now. And in fact, this reached the Leicester Mercury. And thank you to Peter Breers for pointing this one out. He said, who sent the article in, top story in the uh, in the Leicester Mercury, Pe- Peggy Arfexad denies that he's a, a, he's become a porn star. And this is the quote. The journalist says, is it true you're now starring in porn movies, Peggy? Peggy replies, look, this is a bad rumour. It's been going around a long time. One English guy wrote, wrote it on the internet years and years ago that I was doing oh, this now. And now people Peggy. say to me, hey, you might making porn films. I haven't made any porn films, okay? I don't do that. I work for a sports insurance company. That's what I do. Put it in your paper. I don't do porn films, just insurance, okay? I mean, very big denial there from Peggy. Yeah, I, I believe him, obviously, because I, I think the evidence would have been... I mean, is is there a chance that he was the standby for a porn film? 
<laughs> Katie Keller's done 300 porn films. Peggy O'Pegg's just sat and watched from the side with his gloves on. Just a great guy to have on set. Just a great, just a guy. great guy to have on set. <laughs> <laughs> Makes oh, everyone feel good. Um, that superb nineties o'clock news. Good to good to hear. Yeah, good to hear. And uh, obviously, no time for Steve Frogger, but maybe on the live show we'll protect the time, like we say. Tickets yeah, still yeah. available on the Lowry website if you're interested. If you go to that wonderful night in Quickly, Kevin Manchester, the Lowry, the big room, Thursday the first of July. We'll be doing a live show, live in person, fingers crossed, should be there. Uh, tickets are available on the Lowry website, and we will. Few left, few left. There's a few left, I think. But pick those tickets up if you want to hear in person how Steve Froggett met his wife. Right. Shall we uh, have a look at the electronic post bag? I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the electronic post bag. You've got mail. Here's something we've never talked about from Andy May. A very good Steve Morrow to you. Long term. <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, please. A long term listener and XJ8 member. Love the show. I just wanted to bring to your attention a part of the 90s football that is often forgotten Graham Souness's Benfica experiment. You remember this? Uh, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. I remember Graham Souness yeah. uh, took over the managerial job of Benfica. And made some of the most 90s British signings ever. This Benfica squad included Brian Dean, Scott Minto, Mark Pembridge, Dean Saunders, Michael Thomas, and Steve Harkness. <laughs> <laughs> Not only did this actually happen, but on hearing of the new trend for footballers having the nicknames on the back of their shirt, like Brazilians and Portuguese did, for instance, Darnie at West Ham and Janino at Middlesbrough, Steve Harkness. Joined the bandwagon. I'll just pop the image onto the group for you. Have a look what it says on the back of Steve Harkness's shirt instead of his surname. <laughs> Can you read that? Steve. He's gone with Steve. He's Steve. <laughs> Steve on the back of his shirt. Because you what? get obviously the foreign player who will choose the first name. I'm trying, I can't think of an example. Um, but there are lots of them. I'm sure other people can think of examples off the top of their heads. But I've never seen an English player go with Steve, the first, their first name, rather than their surname. We'll put that picture on our Instagram because it is a uh, a lovely bit of football history. I mean, look, if there's anyone that knows more about... Didn't Graham Souness get sacked from Benfica because he put a flag in the middle of the pitch after they'd won a cup or something? No, nah, I think that was Galatasaray. That was Galatasaray. Oh, that was Galatasaray. Um, do email in if you've got anything more on that. Now... Uh, final touch on the European Super League because we're going to put it to bed. Richard Christon has done a bigger job than other people have done. 17th of August, 1992. He's done the full 12 teams in comparison to the 12 teams that he's done the he's done the European Leagues as well. Oh, wow. Please welcome the European Super League after the first round of fixtures, August 17th, 1992. Norwich City. Yeah. Can we have the like Champions League music under this mic? I know that's in <laughs> the wrong music, but it kind of gives the kind of yeah. Norwich City, Coventry City, Leeds United, Sheffield United, Nottingham Forest, Blackburn Rovers, Torino, Atalanta, Udinese, Real Burgos, Deportivo La Coruña, and Sevilla. 
What a league that is. I mean, that's that's the Intertoto Cup. That's not the Champions League. That's not the it's Super League. It's the, they're, the, they're the 12 biggest clubs at that point on league position alone. He adds, for managers alone, you'd get Brian Clough, Bobby Gould and Kenny Dalglish. <laughs> for players, you'd get Rule Fox, Ian Culverhouse, Phil Babb, Dave Boost, Mickey Quinn, uh, Martin Booty, <laughs> don't know who that is, Steve Chettle, Roy Keane, Chris Kamara, Brian Dean, Tony Dorigo, David Batty, Gary McAllister, Steve Hodge, Mark Tinkler, Imran Varadi, Graham Lasso and Stuart Ripley. Mixing it up with Torino's Christian Vieri, Deportivo's Bebeto, Sevilla's Diego Simeone, Davos Suka, and Diego Maradona. Wow. Yeah. Decent. You'd also get Big Dion joining uh, during Coventry City's third campaign of the Super League. Keep up the good work, Rich. That is a, a, a wonderful European Super League. Thank you very much uh, to uh, Richard Christian for that. Okay. Miss her chance? Dear Quickly Kevin, as a teenager watching Charlton Athletic on the terraces in the 90s, I misheard the common chant, she fell over. <laughs> Do you know this chant? Yeah. Is it she fell over? I well, never knew whether it was she or cheat. Or occasionally I thought it was sheep. I always thought it was, uh, yeah, it's a weird one that. Is it she fell over? I thought that's, I thought it was he I, fell over. You thought it was just he fell Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. I we've got a Miss Hard chant amongst ourselves. I genuinely thought it was like a he fell over. Yeah, like, oh, he just fell over, he wasn't kicked. Yeah. So so this, James Clark thinks it's, she thinks it's she fell over uh, because it's a kind of a soft foul and it's a kind of sexist take, I suppose. Yeah. Shall we put this on our Twitter? Shall we do a poll? Yeah. Your Twitter yeah. poll. Is it she fell over, cheat fell over, he fell over, or something else? Anyway, James Clark writes... As a teenager watching Charlton Athletic on the terraces in the early 90s, I misheard the common chant, she fell over, as Chief Alora. <laughs> <laughs> what even is that? From Star Trek. <laughs> Want, not, wanting not to feel left out, I enthusiastically chanted Chief Alora, utterly perplexed at what it might mean for at least three or four seasons. <laughs> three or four seasons. Never daring to ask what it meant for a growing fear of humiliation. I finally twigged the connection. Uh, I finally realised what it was, changed my chant, and never whispered a word of my years of mischanting until, deep in my 20s, I confessed this to an Arsenal fan friend of mine, Alex, who doubled over in laughter and reconfessed that he had done almost the exact same thing, except that he thought the chant was cheap fedora. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was so deeply relieved, especially so when he explained that he had managed to rationalise his misunderstanding as a reference to Big Mal Malcolm Allison, who famously wore a fedora hat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I still think my misunderstanding was more stupefying than his. I know that we still silently chant cheap fedora and cheap Laura at every opposition free kick. Cheers to the brilliant podcast, James. Oh, that's lovely. I used to. Um, it's not football chant related. It's um, you know the the arrhythmic song, uh, "Sweet Dreams." The line "Sweet Dreams are made of these." I I thought for years that it was "Sweet Dreams are made of cheese," because of the whole sort of <laughs> the whole association with like cheese dreams. Like my of brain is just like yeah. Sense. Oh, that makes sense. Um, if you've got any more uh, misheard chants or anything you want to email in, this is how to get in touch. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin. 
and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. So now, obviously, I'm in a bit of an awkward position here, Chris. Yeah? Yeah. I've got to do the intro, but I, I'm fully aware of the Quickly Kevin bingo that's in play. <laughs> <laughs> However, it was a great, it was a great interview. It's one of my favourites. I absolutely <laughs> love this. You're all in for an absolute treat. This is a genuinely very, very knowledgeable Chelsea fan. You know, there's always that worry that they're going to be a slightly part-time fan. There was no doubt in my mind that Suggs knew more about Chelsea in the 90s than someone of his level of intoxication during that decade really should have known. This (laughs) is the wonderful Suggs. Today's guest is our first to have had 20 top 20 hits and surely the first and last to have recorded an FA Cup final single alongside the likes of Rude Hullet and Gianluca Vialli. It's our pleasure to welcome to Quickly Kevin, actor, lead singer of Madness, but most importantly, big Chelsea fan, it's Suggs. Welcome to the show, Suggs. Thank you very much. How many of those top 20 singles can you remember? Um, all of them. <laughs> we won't do it then, we'll just, we'll just believe you. <laughs> Yeah, no, I remember all those songs, of course. Yeah, yeah, they've all kind of, uh, you know, done me a favour, haven't they, really, one way or another? <laughs> yeah, they haven't done bad for you, have they? They haven't no. done bad for you. No. Um, now, we always like to start with, have you ever met a 90s footballer? Now, we know you've met, basically, you've, you've met the whole Chelsea team, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, and that was a rather bizarre experience because I was sort of that opinion that you don't want to meet your heroes because they might let you down. You know, I've always avoided the sort of executive lounge element of things because I'd rather just sit there and watch these idols and presume that they're heroes, you know, and, and not yeah. want to put that down. But of course, having done the song, I got to meet them all, that team, that particular team. And there were some really fantastic people. I mean, Zola was a lovely person. Viali, you know, having a fag at half time and all that. Some really lovely people. And I remember we did a video and my, my, my abiding memory of doing the video was I nutmegged Mark Hughes. Go on, stick that <laughs> But he didn't let me do it a second time when they wanted a close-up, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Were the players comfortable with doing that video? Did they, did they throw themselves into it? or Well, we were just messing about on, a, on, on, on the training pitch, or wherever it was, at the Chelsea training pitch, and, and I just was playing, and I just that, and it was a complete accident. But, you know, I was past him. I couldn't believe it. And then the director said, can you do that again? It's such a lovely shot. And then when I did it again, Mark Hughes kicked me up in the air. He said, you could fight well. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into your FA Cup final somewhere. Maybe we should rewind and establish yeah. how you became a Chelsea fan. Well, because I'm like you know, known as a North Londoner, and I have been most of my life, but but, but I started off in Fulham. Um, we lived in Fulham, me and my mum, and I was going to Park Walk School, which was just off the King's Road. And in fact, Alan Hudson was in the top class when I was in just oh, joining wow. primary school. Yeah, and I can remember him and his brother, his brother John, or I can't remember exactly. Um, but they came from the uh, uh, Wells End Estate, and there was this thing called the cage where people used to play football in this kind of a bit like one of them where you see the Bronx when they play basketball. You know, it was like yeah. a sort of live or die kind of situation playing in the cage. 
But that's how it started. And so that's got to be 68, 69. And of course, this amazing team were coming out of Stamford Bridge. You know, and everyone knows that team. And, you know, I could name them all, the five H's, you know, had Hudson, Harris, Hollins, Hutchinson, Hinton, anyway, and on and on and on. And David Webb and the Capanetti and Peter Wasgood, the King of Stamford Bridge, you know, what a team. And then, of course, they went on and won the cup final against Leeds, you know, and that was that whole thing about the soft Southerners versus the tough Northerners. <laughs> and, of course, it was the one and only time when they had a replay, didn't they? Because it was a draw. And then they played it at... The replay was at um, Old Trafford, and they'd had the great idea of having the Horse of the Year show the night before. <laughs> 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 so as if it weren't bad enough, the picture was like the song. You, know, you watch that game now, and there was some modern referee reckons he would have given 11 red cards in that <laughs> There would have been 11 five aside at the end of that game. But, of course, they weren't soft southerners, you know, and you had Ron Harris and all that, and, and they were a tough team, but but that was it. And then we get to the cup, when it's the cup final, play Real Madrid, and, 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 and again, it gets postponed. I had a lot of friends who went there. I was too young to go, and they're stuck in Greece for a week. And... <laughs> In order to stop the Chelsea Yobos getting on the pitch, they just planted a load of swords in front of the Chelsea. <laughs> no. Swords. <laughs> and everyone just pulled the swords out and went, I'm a king. <laughs> wow. But anyway, so we won the Cup Winners final, uh, Cup Winners Cup, and, and that was it. And then we moved north shortly after that to Camden Town. And all my mates were Arsenal, but I just couldn't change. I tried. I went to Ivory and uh, I got as far as arse. And I couldn't do the second syllable, you know. <laughs> and you're stuck, one you, as a fan, you're stuck. So 27 years of misery before we got to that the cup final, what I wrote the song, yeah. Um, and in the 80s, it was yeah. kind of full of hooligans. Ken Bates wanted to put an electric fence around the fans in Stamford Bridge. What was it like going in the 80s to Stamford Bridge? I was there when he put it up, yeah. He had a bit left over from his farm, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what it was? I haven't heard that. He had it left over from his farm. He had some electric fencing left over from his farm. He was going to learn us all a lesson. <laughs> so he stuck this electric fence around the shed. And I can remember it, we were playing Coventry. I think we were in the second division. And there's possibly no more than 11,000 people in this. And I remember seeing the rain actually spark off the electric fence. So it weren't no joke. You know I mean, there was electricity <laughs> running through it. <laughs> Can you imagine? That was safety, just plugging electric fence in. <laughs> Unplug the scoreboard, plug in the electric fence. <laughs> That's for sure. Kim Bates, really, he was a character, yeah. Did you ever meet him? Yeah, I did, yeah, yeah. Um, he took me out for lunch in one of the um, very exotic restaurants that were at Stamford Bridge. That time. I remember I got this baked potato and a steak, and the baked potato was completely off. It was black in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> and was he nice? Was he charming? He was sort of charming. He was sort of charming. You know, in an oldie worldie misogynist, you know, I'm, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying anything else, but, you know, he was yeah. an old bore. <laughs> a man of his time. Yeah, a man for his time, exactly. And so, like, the late 70s, 80s, right? There was a bit of a hooligan element back back then. Did you ever find yourself in the scraps? Did you used to go to the away games and get in, get into ruckus on the train? Yeah, <laughs> when I was a kid. I was a kid. I was a kid. You know, and I think that was a sort of rite of passage somehow in those days. You know, 
I remember my mate saying he used to wake up on match day scared and go to bed terrified. <laughs> <laughs> All day was just full of fear. Yeah, I mean, but I've got to say, some of the happiest times we got we got demoted twice in the seventies, and you know, going to places like Sheffield and Hull and Wigan and these really odd places. And you've got to remember as well, there was no CCTV or even coppers, really. You were just like, as soon as you got off the train, there they were. And it was live or die. Yeah, it was sort of fun in a strange. I mean, what's remarkable about that old period is how few people got killed. You know, it's yeah. like, I don't think many did. I think one fellow got fell off a train, I think West Ham fan. But considering the amount of sort of boots you got up the arse and punches in the year old, it's pretty amazing. But I do have some very vivid memories. Yeah, I remember Millwall, crikey, you know. I went to the Cold Blow Lane. I got off the bus and there was a fella lying on the pavement with his head kicked in. It was like, oh, here we are. This must be it. And it was literally <laughs> a muddy lane past this kind of cage for the people shaking the bars. Oh, my God. But my, my best mate had the very good idea of not going not going the away end, right? Let's go in the home end, right? And pretend we've all got blue and white scarves. We're going to be lovely. And I could just see the away end. There were bodies flying in the air, copper's helmets flying out of the ground. And the, and the Chelsea end was just shrinking and shrinking. <laughs> oh, my God. But scored and we sort of went, yeah. And then they scored again and we sort of went, yeah. And then they scored a third time. I think it was the last game Peter Bonetti ever played. I mean, you know, some of this goes into mythology. But I seem to remember the ball hit the crossbar and hit Bonetti on the back of the head and went in the goal. And my mate just couldn't pretend to enjoy it anymore. And he just <laughs> fuck this and sat down. And all of a sudden, all eyes were upon us. I said, it's probably time to go now. But also at Stamford Bridge, I can't remember the Mears family who had it before Ken Bates had some idea they were going to turn it into an Olympic stadium and they built this huge running track all the way around. But it just meant that everyone could get from one end to the ground to the other with very little distraction. <laughs> and I remember again, we were playing Millwall at home and they used to do this thing at half-time where they went, ooh, this sort of, I don't know, um, a drone, I suppose you'd call it. And I saw this phalanx of policemen sort of disappear and all of a sudden, they took it upon themselves not to go around the outside, just to march across the middle of the pitch towards the shed. And there we are in the front row. Oh, my God. It's not a place you want to be. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, you, men you mentioned the... Uh... You mentioned the running track there. One thing we've always wondered is, do you remember the cars behind the goals? <laughs> Can you shed any light on this? Well, you had what they called the disabled stand. I mean, it wasn't called that at the time. And, and there was a lot of those Robin Reliance, you know, those three-wheeler cars for disabled people. But then a few of the sort of top bobs parked their cars there as well. <laughs> but that's the famous story of Eddie McCready, of course, who took us up the last time back to the old first division. Hmm. And he said to the Mears family, look, I don't want a bonus or anything, but could you buy me a new car, like a Vos Vauxhall Astro or something? And they said, no. <laughs> get a new car, never mind sort of four billion quid. You know, just, <laughs> just a new car. Yeah. Um, and then, so as kind of madness blew up, you know, well, how did that affect you going to Chelsea? Did you still, were you still able to go much? I mean, was your match day experience different? Yeah, of course it was, because I was being recognised a bit more. But, you know, I knew a lot of people there. And um, 
while it was still standing, it, it was great because you could, you know, if someone was getting bored and you could slip away. I mean, I really wish for those days to come back, you know, if nothing else, to be able to stand. I mean, it's like, if I go in a pub, I don't really like sitting at a table because you're stuck with them people, aren't you? I like standing at the bar. <laughs> if it gets a bit boring, you can wander off. It was the same going in the shed. You know, you'd meet a few people and then you'd see some other people from Kilburn or somewhere and you'd know somebody else and you could just sort of wander around a bit. But bit by bit, I couldn't really go anymore. No, it got too, like, you know, I was very famous and people wanted to bother me, you know, and that, that got a bit boring. But yeah. I kept my season ticket all the way through that period. I had a lovely season ticket in the upper... Uh, Matthew Harding stands and then I was on holiday for a month or so got a letter from Ken Bates going and he obviously wanted us out we were the last of the sort of you know what he didn't want he wanted the corporates to us and the prices were being bumped up got a letter to say oh sorry you haven't uh, reapplied for your season ticket you should have done it a month ago so basically he just got rid of a load of people by telling them the fact that they missed out on the fact that he decided that you hadn't applied for the season. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you, where did you get moved to then? Or did you go into the corporate? Then I got to know one of the girls and she got me a really nice seat, which was at the front of the shed. But it was on a sort of, it was like, it wasn't mine, it wasn't the season ticket, but I was sort of guaranteed to get those couple of seats, yeah. And I remember one time we were in the front row of the shed and we were playing Liverpool or something. And it then decided to put the away fans downstairs, which is always a bit odd in the shed. You know, it's all a bit cockeyed, the way in home ends and all that. And Jerome knocked a glass of Coca-Cola over and he said, shall I look down, Uncle? I said, no, 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 don't, don't look down. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> it's really a really bizarre thing. And this is true, much as I hate that phrase. <clears throat> he then lost his programme over the edge. He said, Uncle, look, I'm going to, Shout down and see if I can get it. I said, no, not after you've just spilled, you know, a kilo of Coca-Cola over someone's head. No, I don't think you should. Next thing, this programme flew up in the air and landed on his lap. <laughs> Put that in your pipe. And even to this day, we still... Remarkable. All the places it could have ended up. Whether the bloke was throwing it in angle or not, it just like <laughs> back onto your own snap. There you go. Amazing. Um, the 90s, though, uh, is probably, you know, that is a really huge decade for Chelsea. Because although it was yeah. pre-Abramovich, it was it started to get, it must have been really fun time to support Chelsea in the 90s. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And it was just so great because my daughters liked it and my nephews were getting into it. And exactly, you know, we were starting to get these superstars coming and, you know, if nothing else, you know, to get your Viales and your Desaies and your Leboeufs and the Mateos. I mean, really fantastic players. And and it was just a great time, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't like even winning anything. It was just like you'd win 4-0, lose 4-0, win. But it was terribly exciting to watch. And Zola, of course... As my Sicilian barber said, you know, you don't need to turn the floodlights on when Zola's playing because it lights up the whole ground. <laughs> <laughs> and so, 97 is, the, I think, the moment it really starts happening to Chelsea. And you've been a big team pretty much ever since. So, for that to start happening again, like around 97, the resurgence to Chelsea, and then to get to the FA Cup final and for them to say to you, Suggs, help us out. We need an FA Cup final single. Well, exactly. So, we played Man United, was it 94? Yeah. And so we haven't been to Wembley for 27 years, 27 long years of being in Ivory, listening to them Arsenal. <laughs> MFs. 
One nil to the Arsenal over and over and over and over again. So then we get to the cup final and then we lose four nil to Man United. And I left. I remember about three nil in. I'm just sitting on the bus on my own waiting for everyone else to come. And not fans like that. Eee, you know what I mean? So then we get back in 1997. Yeah. And um, I was doing a solo record at the time at, at Warner Brothers. And uh, the girl there in charge of uh, PA, PR, whatever it's called, was an American girl called Barbara Sharon, and she was madness. I mean, she was mad for Chelsea. She she was a total fanatic. And she said, this guy has written this song. I've had to say, I didn't write it. I mean, although I would like to take the credit for it. It's a football sound. For, you know, they're all so naff, aren't they? They're always so naff. But I heard it, and I just thought, this is it. The only place to be, ever have a Saturday, walking down a full of mode, have a moan, have a drink, da, 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 and everything. It just sort of had some humanity to it, which I could sort of dig. And it had a sort of kinksy kind of vibe. The music was the sort of thing I liked. And I thought, yeah, we'll, we'll give it a go. But I thought, I don't want to jinx this next opportunity we have. But it just couldn't have gone better. Yeah, it couldn't have gone... I mean, the song turned out all right, and... It's a great song, I think. I think there's. I was listening to it today, and yeah. the fact you, obviously it has got that kind of kinksy feel. But obviously, you think 1997. That was. It feels like a real like one of those. If it wasn't a Chelsea song, it is like one of those lost Brit pop classics. Do you know what I mean? If it has that real feel of the time, I think. And, well, and uh, yeah, go on. No, I just think that you're you're right in saying that. I think you know all the best football songs aren't. We're the best. We're going to win. Blah blah blah. That that's the key to it, isn't it? I think it, it's some human touch. You know what I mean? Mm. And, and having a moan, you know, and we'll never win, and you know, it doesn't really matter. But it, it's something we do on Saturdays. It was the main sort of vibe. But you know, and we hope, and we hope, and we hope, and we hope. And it's like the I'm forever blowing bubbles, isn't it? Is a great example of that. You know, pretty bubbles in the sky burst. So, you know, it's like we just accept that we probably never will. But um, so that song turns up and I think, yeah, that's all right. And we record it and it turns out good. As you say, I think, yeah, it could have been a half decent Brit pop song anyway. But um, so there's two things with that song. One is um, when it comes out, I've got a, I, I quite a few mates down Portobello Road. And I've kind of forgotten how much hatred there is from QPR towards Chelsea, you know. <laughs> They're like our younger cousins, but for them, we are like the big bullying older brothers and they still really hate us. So I was in this pub called The Star in Portobello Road with a load of my mates. And I put, and Blue, I got the manager to put Blue Day on the jukebox. <laughs> and I put it on 14 times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> and then left, and they were chasing me up the road, throwing carrots at me. But, um, yeah, and the second thing about that was when we won, they played that record at Wembley. Do you know what I mean? Oh, wow. And then they played Blue Day, which is my second favourite. Well, actually, it's my favourite Chelsea record. Again, it's just a very humble record, you know. Um, And sorry, Blue is the colour. Sorry, Blue is the colour. Blue is the football, is the game. We're all together. Um, And then they played, and then all the Middlesbrough fans went home, and then they played it again. And this woman jumped on my back and then all the seats collapsed and she went, you've helped us to win this. And I couldn't have been prouder in all oh, my... Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. Do they ever play at Stamford Bridge now? 
they played it for a while. They played it for the next couple of seasons as the opening music to coming on the pitch. I mean, they always play Liquidator, you know, which I love, you know, do 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 which they've been playing since the 70s. But they've gone back to Blue is the Colour now, which is absolutely fine with me. I think it had its kind of time, you know, with that sort of Britpop kind of sound. And they do play it occasionally, but I mean, they play one step beyond at the end if we've won a really important game, which is equally proud of that and all, yeah. That must feel quite mad hearing your own music being played at a football match. Of course it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's hard to explain. It's a bit like an out-of-body experience. Yeah, it's sort of a bit too much, you know what I mean? But, but yeah, very um, proud, you know, proud. Yeah. Really. proud. Yeah. I've, you know, you say love, love this team, <laughs> you know, and I love the whole thing. And then they're playing your song. It's a really uh, remarkable privilege, really. I think as well about one step beyond, I, from what I can work out, so Chelsea, they play that after like a big Champions League win or a big like yeah. big victory at Stamford Bridge like after the final yeah. whistle. And you hear like the whole stadium singing it and like throwing <laughs> the arms away. That's your band, obviously. That's your team. To be in a moment of exhilaration where your team's progressing and everyone's singing your song. You've always, you know that's coming if you've got a great European well, night it. or something. This is it. But you don't know, you know what I mean? But it's like, not just the big Champions League nights. It's like, if we beat Liverpool 3-0, it has to be a really big win. And you're thinking, oh, we won 2-0. Do you think they're going to play it? Oh, no, they're not. No, they're not. Like, you've, got to, you know, you've got to at least stuff them before they play it. And then when it comes on, it's that joy of the fact that everybody's celebrating the fact that we've done something great. You know what I mean? Not just playing that song after every game which makes it more special, yeah. And I've got to say about the 97 final, scoring after a minute. So you yeah. get into this, you, you were you even at your seat? I just about. I got my mate's daughter to hide this bottle of wine in her coat and I was trying to get it off her. <laughs> and she went in. <laughs> and then Di Matteo, yeah, yeah. In front of his blind sister, hey, come on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a remarkable moment that was. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, one, before we move on too far from the 97 final and that, and the music video for um, that song of yours, were you wearing a cast? Did it look like your arm looks a bit stiff in it? And I thought, are they covering up a cast there? Is that, have, I, have I spotted that? Yeah, no, I broke my arm. Yeah, I broke my arm. <laughs> I very stupidly decided I'd go skiing with my family. Now, this is something that I, I wouldn't recommend for anyone who, who doesn't like slippery surface. And I fell over. I, I wouldn't mind if it was on the black run or anything. It was literally outside the hotel. Someone was handing me a glass of glue vine and I went like that. <laughs> fractured my elbow. But the funny thing about that was I was doing a television programme at the time called... Uh, Saturday Night Live or Night Fever, I think it was. It was some karaoke thing on Channel 5. And we used to record four shows a day. That then they'd sort of into, you know, they'd sort of spread it around. You know, you've got to get certain guests and you only get them on a day. And then you do one week with these guests. And what it was, so first show I've got my arm in a plaster, and the second show I haven't. <laughs> third show back in the plaster again. And I've gone, Jesus Christ, that sucks. Is rather unfortunate where he's on. <laughs> You can't catch a break. <laughs> 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 the glasses off. The glasses off. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 
<laughs> Where do you think Chelsea stands amongst great soundtracks for clubs? I would actually say Chelsea's probably right up there, but do, do you think Liverpool, West Ham, Everton, is there any other club you're envious of a specific song or anything? Well, you've got to love Everton's bloody thing. Oh, anyway. I think Zed that, <laughs> I mean, that got to be the worst thing? <laughs> have a kazoo. It's bizarre, that one. I can't <laughs> see that. You know, rally the Warriors. <laughs> Oh, you know, fair enough. I, mean, I love the fact that people stick with these funny old songs. There's another team that plays that as well, isn't there? There's two teams that play um, Zed Cars. <laughs> I can't remember what the other one is. Yeah, you're right. It might, it might even be more than one. I think, there, I think there's like three or four, isn't there? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, at West Ham, we don't really have a soundtrack. Like, we only have Bubbles. Yeah. So maybe maybe Viva Bobby Moore would do the like... Um... What version are you playing? There's a sort of... Half cod reggae version, I seem to remember. Of, um, yeah, that's exactly that. That's, <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's a good description. Plymouth, we have a kind of a thing called Semper Fidelis. Do you know this? Which is a kind of the only time I've ever seen it elsewhere is at a president's funeral on a, in a film. And I was like, that's the song they come out to at Argyle. <laughs> and for one year in 1996, we changed it because Neil Warnock demanded we come out to Simply the Best by Tina Turner. <laughs> <laughs> and then he got tune. sacked and we went back to Semper Fidelis pure class pure class yeah absolute pure class that man <laughs> isn't it better than all the rest <laughs> interesting isn't it yeah it's like with boxes you see where they come out what, what you choose to come out to yeah do you have any footballers come and watch you yeah quite a few yeah Frank Lempar's come to see us a couple of times Dennis Wise come a couple of times I don't know who else yeah but every now and then yeah Vinnie Jones <laughs> Um, and then I remember Stuart Pierce came, yeah, and it was most bizarre because he had this East German um, coat on, East German army coat, and and a, and a, and a Nazi helmet. <laughs> I don't know quite what the uh, what the look what is, was, what the vibe was. <laughs> Is trying to unify them with fashion. As if Stuart Pearce couldn't get more scary the one time. <laughs> so um, shall we talk about football and music in the 90s coming together? Uh, so have you got a top five there? Have you got a top five? Yeah, well, sure. I mean, I was thinking about it. I mean, obviously, World, World in Motion for me was, was a decent song. Yeah, oh, yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was a good song. I mean, again, that was a pop song that could have gone out regardless of whether it was about football or not. It was a very nice, instructive song. I mean, this in Dorma, I mean, yeah, old Pavarotti and all that. I mean, that's a fabulous thing. <laughs> yeah, he was a character, wasn't he? Pavarotti saying, I can't remember, it was a pop star who said, um, I'm really fed up of being famous. I forget who it was, you know, I'm really, like, I've had enough of it. And Pavarotti said, look, mate, he said, take six months off and believe me, they'll forget about you pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it too much. You know, you're fed up with pain. Just go away. You know, get off social media for six months. They'll soon forget about it. I think that was great, the world of motion. I think that was kind yeah, of... Yeah. Yeah, I think, like, I mean, looking back now, it feels like a completely different thing to the football songs that have gone before, in that it felt like a prop... It is It is a great New Order song, if it wasn't it's about that, football. It's it sound like New Order and a song that they, you know, with other lyrics, they would have had a hit with it anyway, I would have thought, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think like um, that World in Motion song was the first song that was kind of football and cool. Because if you think about like, I think most football songs before that sounded like Blue is the Colour, where it was just like, Blue is the colour. You know, they're like marching songs. There you, you say that ain't cool. Well, I mean, it's a great <laughs> song, but it's, it's, it's so a bit formulaic. There was that moment where you got a lot of out-of-tune footballers just singing a very <laughs> basic chant. Yeah, mostly, yeah. They were all ghastly, really, yeah. And but what was funny, actually, it reminded me again, when we were doing our one, the Italians had no notion of what the hell it was. You know, they'd just been told to turn up at the studio. <laughs> You know, this is not something AC Milan. And about making mugs of yourself singing some crappy song. So they didn't have a clue what was going on. And the other thing I remember was because you had your um Violi and, and Zola and a few others whose English weren't great at that time. And, and I remember Dennis Wise was teaching how to speak English. Well, you can imagine the sort of words he was teaching. <laughs> They're all effing and blind. I don't know, you can't say that word in the course. So, fucking great. But they had absolutely no history. I didn't realise. Are we the only country that does this stupid football I songs? Think, I don't probably. Know. I can't. Oh, wow. I've never thought of that. I'm aware of other countries that have done it. When you hear those songs, you realise why songs don't have 20 vocalists, because it always sounds. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, this sounds shit, doesn't it, when 20 people sing at the same time? It needs to be 3,000 or one. That's what singing needs to be. They're all completely out of I'm not saying we buried the team in our court. <laughs> but it certainly did get buried, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I was going to ask that, like... Does, do you so I would imagine you'd pick like three or four who are half decent and go you're the ones who are going to be on the single just fade everyone else down but there, there's a is there an element of the team like okay you sing into this mic and then it's like right drag that right down I think let's get another five punches a nice backing vocalist and he went just look so long as they can mime alright let's just leave it at that yeah we don't need these in the uh in the mix no when you go into a studio with a football team like that you, did you do any vocal warm ups with them are you like you trying to s- figure out who's good and who's bad? A little bit, but yeah. I mean, I remember Viali could play the piano, actually, funnily enough. And he was talking about joining in a bit. Um, but no, not no. as I say, once they all got together, it was obvious that none of them could sing and they weren't going to be on the record. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember also we got Top of the Pops. It was doing really well. It was oh, really? Parts. And then... Who was the manager? Was it Glenn Hoddle at the time? I can't remember. Who the or Hullet, maybe? Was it Hullet? It was Hullet. Yeah. And he said he wouldn't allow the team to go on top of the pops. Oh. For fear they were going to go up the West End afterwards and, and, and they wouldn't turn up for training the next day. So it, it could have been more successful than it was, but uh, it was the powers that be. That would have been fun to do top of the pops for the Chelsea team, wouldn't it? Certainly. I think the, the, the defining football song of the 90s, though, is obviously Three Lions. Oh, which yeah. came out the year before uh, Blue Day. Did you, were you a fan of that? Yeah, again, I'd say that's a good pop song. Yeah, I think that's got a good melody. And um, I thought it was quite clever, that whole, you know, three lines on a shirt and you know, football's coming home and all that lark. Yeah. Again, you know, we were filled with the most ridiculous optimism, weren't we? 
And Vindaloo was the other one, was that in the oh, 90s? Yeah, of yeah, that, that was, was the 98, 90s. yeah, Vindaloo. That was, one. that was a good one, that was great. I thought that really was the deconstruction of the whole notion, you know, bucket of Vindaloo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what it is to be English. Because that's the other thing as well, you know, you don't want sort of just bald nationalism. I think what the songs we've talked about have had a sort of uh, an irony to it, you know what I mean? And I think that was the best, yeah, yeah, Vindaloo, yeah. Did you have any dealing? Because Keith Allen was, obviously, he was involved in World in Motion and he was involved in Vindaloo. Did you have many dealings with Keith Allen in the 90s? I knew him quite well, yeah, I see him around, yeah. He's a big music fan and there were various things, Happy Mondays and sort of things I was floating about in that he was interested in and I'd see him all over the place and Glastonbury, he was always there. Funny if I had a dream about him last night for some reason. <laughs> He was he was he was doing graffiti on the front of my house. <laughs> Strange coincidence, that, isn't it? So I don't bring him up the next day. But no, I remember. I remember. Um, I was at Glastonbury, and um, we were going on at nine o'clock. And I was sitting with Keith, and I don't know. One thing led to another, and. Um, what are they called? Disco biscuits? Something along those lines. Anyway, paracetamol, something like that. And the next thing I went, shit, I'm on stage, I've got to go. And I was like right in the mood, you know, bit high, a bit this, a bit that. Yeah, I'm perfect. Right, I'm on. Look, I'm running towards the stage and they've gone, Suggs, Suggs, where, where are you going? I said, I'm on. You know, about 20 minutes. I went, it's, it's nine in the morning. <laughs> So then I had to sit there in a deck chair for 12 hours <laughs> waiting for the mood that I was now in to wear off before I actually had to go on stage. And I remember I was wearing a wig for some reason and the rain was dripping down and I could hear my, I could hear this disembodied voice of my tour manager going, I don't think Suggs is going to make it. <laughs> 12 hours in a deck chair in the rain. <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> oh dear. But was it, is Vindaloo cheating a bit? Because it was already a bit of a football chant. Yeah, yeah, I suppose, I suppose, I suppose, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, just cheer me up. And I like the video and all that and all marching about. But your mum and you're going in the dead of the day on a bucket of Vindaloo. I mean, it's just surreal, <laughs> wasn't it? I mean, I've always liked a bit of surreality. I think that's always a yeah. Yeah. good place to start, really, in any walk of life, you know. Yeah. Um, Skull, do you want to uh, play a couple of um, songs for Suggs? Just not the, not the full song, it's a couple of clips of other sure. classic 90s football songs that we could get his take on. What about Do the Right Thing by Ian Wright, 1993? Do Have you heard right this one, Suggs? I don't know. I've heard that Do the Right Thing song. Oh, Here we go. Do you not think um, so that's Ian. That's Ian Wright of Do the Right Thing. I'm. I actually think he's got talent there. What do you reckon, Sugs? Not got a bad voice at all. No. Um, was that actually a football song, or was it just his own? Uh... Just his own single. Just him yeah, I like releasing it, I like a it. single. It's better than Diamond Lights by um, Ben Hoddle, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Slightly better. Slightly better. He's got a good voice. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. 
So did, did you ever come across Diamond Lights in the on the top of the pop circuit or anything like that? We might have been on the same night that they were doing that. Yeah, it was um, it was Oddle and Doddle, wasn't it? And Waddle, yeah, Waddle, Waddle, and Waddle, and Doddle. But there was that thing when it as well. It was this whole sort of it was sort of a bit of a Terry Venables vibe, wasn't it? It was some club Scribes, was it? Scribes. <laughs> well, they'd all do their karaoke, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a funny thing, isn't it? That as well, you know that. I mean, most of the pop stars of my generation aspire to be footballers, and, and it's, it suddenly turns out half of them wanted to be pop stars. And you know, you know, I mean, more often than not, neither the twain shall meet. <laughs> for obvious reasons. Well, do you want to play uh, another one, Skull? What, what would be just what? What be but, your next one you'd like Suggs to hear? I think "Do the Right Thing" by Ian Wright is good, but check this out. This is Andy Cole released a single in 1999 called "Outstanding." So I'd love to know your thoughts on this. Oh no! Oh no! So what do you reckon, Sucks? Andy Cole, well, outstanding? You know what I mean? I've heard worse, but I'm struggling to remember when. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that you know is a vibe of a certain time, in it. Yeah, and uh, can you kick it? Uh, possibly not. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, it could go, didn't it? I mean, it's funny though, isn't it? How you can hear the tone of his voice. It's funny straight away. But um, you know, fair enough. He's had a go. Uh, you know, I can't dig him out. No, 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 no. I think that's fair enough. Is there any footballer or sports personality who's come to you and gone, "I'm thinking of launching a pop career. What do you think of this?" And you've told them not to. Because these are the people who have actually got through all those barriers to release a single. Yeah, I mean, not on that, but but I remember Vinnie Jones come on stage with us and said, do you mind if I sing a song with you? And it was like, no problem, mate, great. And then when he got on the microphone, it was like, ah, maybe... Uh, <laughs> where's the shepherd's crook? <clears throat> uh, I know footballers ask me for advice about a music career. No, not no, no. Should we have one? Should we have one more before one we, last we, one. we asked you to figure out the best football song of the nineties? So this is, well, I mean, what better way to end the selection of songs than "Status Quo"? Come on, you Reds, the Man United FA Cup single that uh, came before yours by about three years, I think. This is "Status Quo." Come on, you Reds. <laughs>
It's good. It's good, that, I'm amazed that I never heard that before. That's extraordinary. Haven't you? To the top of the box. How has that not happened? I mean, that is extraordinary. But, I mean, I think the glitches actually helped. I thought it sounded better. <laughs> Did that chart? I mean, I, I never... That got to number one. No. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. Well, you know, hats off to the crow, man. That's terrific. <laughs> Man, you're very popular, aren't they? Man, you're very popular. That's how it works, I suppose. That's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. They've got more fans, you see. They take it to the top. Only would let my boys get on top of the pops. I'd have had a number one and all, yeah. Of course, of course. What top, do you know what number you got to with uh, Blue Day? I'm not sure. I think, I think he was 22. 22, did it? Oh, I was gonna that's say... not bad. You, you can't judge a, a football single by the same. Well, there game. we are. I, I was going to say top 10, but, you know, you know, you've blown me out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> so if you had to choose one football song from the 90s, from the ones we've discussed, as the yeah. the definitive one, which would you choose? Well, I, I've, I've mentioned it before. I think World in Motion, for me, is, is a record I would actually play and enjoy to hear, you know, just not because it's a football song. For me, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Three Lions has got all its uh, credentials, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily put that record on. No, no. So World in Motion, yeah, yeah. World in Motion. Fair. There you go. And so, Suggs, like since the nineties, Chelsea have gone on to become kings of Europe at various points. How do you feel about Chelsea? Chelsea nowadays? Do you pref- do you prefer these times to the times you had back in the nineties or earlier? No, not really. I mean. <laughs> It's become such a corporate thing. And I mean, this whole sort of Europe Super 6 thing has really outed the whole process, hasn't it? <laughs> you know, of what it really is. And it's been a slippery slope, hasn't it, for some time now. I mean, I'm not complaining, you know, Sky Sports and all that, but but when that, you know, and you get them on the moral high ground, you know, you're um, Gary Neville's and all that, and they make their money from Sky, you know, and they're the ones who fucked it all up, you know playing on Tuesday mornings and Wednesday evenings and Thursday afternoons and all that luck, you know. But I'd love to see, I'd love to see the stands come back where you could stand up. You know, that for me would be the transformation of what it should be, you know, so that kids can just rock up, pay to go in and watch the football match. This notion of it being corporate event is what's really taking the whole thing over. I'm not complaining and I'm very glad that we're in the Champions League semi-finals, hopefully. But, um, but at the same time, you know, I miss that, I miss that community element of football, which everyone, you know, I mean, I'm very pleased that all these people, different teams all came out saying the same thing. You know, it has been sort of snatched away from us and it, and it, and it shouldn't be, you know, it, it's a communal thing, isn't it? Football, really. Totally agree. Do you think, so, uh, do you miss the car park behind the goal as well? <laughs> um, well, yeah. thank you very much. It's been a genuine pleasure, Suggs. Uh, thank Chris you. always likes to end with the same question. Well, let, Suggs, if I gave you the option to go back to the 1st of January 1990 and start again from that moment and relive it all, would you? Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I had a great time, mate. Yeah, even, the, day, even the 12 hours waiting to go on at Glastonbury, sobering <laughs> up, coming down. <laughs> I don't think he's going to make it. <laughs> but bloody well did and all with the wig on, yeah. How was the gig? You can see it on the YouTubes. <laughs> Great, of course it was. Uh, Suggs, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. 
Thank you. I, I love your podcast and I'm very pleased to be on it. Thank you. Oh, cheers, mate. Thank oh. you very much, mate. Cheers. Take thanks. care. Graham McPherson. There we go. Knew that off Sucks. the top of my head. Absolute. Uh, I, guess, I don't use the... Uh, I do use it quite lightly, actually. National treasure. <laughs> um, what you can't... Well, listener, what you wouldn't have seen during that interview is Suggs had four to five roll-ups. Licorice. The interview. Licorice roll-ups. The classic. <laughs> Licorice roll-ups. The best of all the roll-ups. <laughs> like, I could, what I could only describe of a, as a vase of gin and tonic... Yeah, and um, interrupted the interview to um, speak to his decorator about his decorator collecting a pie for him from a local market. Yes, a wonderful little little snapshot of Suggs's life there. I'm going to say it right. I started the interview. I've been a bit ill for the last few days. I started the interview feeling like with a pint of water, going, "God, I'm going to struggle to you know push through with this." By the end, I was like, "I really want a night out." Like- <laughs> I really want to go to the pub with Suggs for three hours. I think we should invite him to Glasgow next year. Yeah. Oh, man. He is um, fun. He And also, he, he's really, his memory for stuff uh, is abs- very accurate. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, when you're interviewing someone and they go, we had the five H's and then he started listing them. And I thought, oh, you've set yourself up for an absolute disaster here, mate. <laughs> I know. And he rattled them off. Also, how can, like, how can you remember not making Mark Hughes? Yeah. Superb. Um, I, should, memory. I should say, uh, the Come On Your Reds video, uh, which I watched today, contains some phenomenal knitwear. <laughs> Lee Sharp in a lovely uh, cream cardigan. Did you see that? No, we'll get it on the Instagram. We'll put that on the Instagram at quickly Kevin. Uh, enjoy that. We'll also put up a picture of how awkward the Chelsea players look uh, recording uh, Blue Day, which is an absolute Britpop classic, if you ask me. It really is. I, I wish I'd have asked Suggs, like, you can't play that, can you? You can't play that on your set list, really. What, Blue Day? Blue Day no. is too divisive, even though it's it is too a good device. It's too divisive. It's. <laughs> It's the same reason Paul McCartney doesn't play Give Ireland Back to the Irish, isn't it? It's too divisive. (laughs) Also, in a a madness set, he's sort of getting royalties for himself. He's getting the rest of the band to play a song and he's not getting PRS live rights. So so when Chelsea win a big game, these are the things that he's got going for him in that moment. His football team are through on a big game. He's hearing everyone sing his song, like like everyone's going crazy, and he's getting a few quid royalty as well. That <laughs> is said. Like, that must be such an amazing wow. moment, though. Like a team that you love have chosen to play something that you wrote or created at arguably the high point of their day, week, month, or season. Yeah. Like it doesn't get any better than that. No, I agree. I think I think one of the most kind of memorable images of. Euro 96, which is obviously a tournament of memorable images. Um, But one of the most memorable images is the cutaway to probably when we beat Spain, Badil and Skinner in the crowd singing along to Three Lions. And you just think, what must that feel like? Yeah. If I was Badil or Skinner, that's probably the best their life ever was. Like that's, that's, (laughs) that's the peak moment where everything just converged. Yeah. I think that I think they'd accept that. I think they'd I think they'd say that's true. Um, but you know, 
they're not here to say it, so we'll say it for them. <laughs> uh, Brazil and Skinner Unplanned was also a very easy way to make money. You've got to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I had the DVD. I chucked in a few quid. Well, there we go. There we go. Um, <laughs> thank you to Suggs. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, do, uh, if you're a patron, go on and debate your favourite 90s football song. Um, we hadn't really included Vindaloo because I find it quite an unlikable tune, but Suggs was all over it, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a, bit like too, it? it's a bit too loud yeah, for my taste. Yeah, kind of surprised me. But Suggs likes that, doesn't yeah. he, I suppose you could say. He's, he's got that kind of geezery edge about him. Shall we end with a quick game of starting 11? Yeah, why not? Let's do it. So let's go with, so there's another iconic game in that FA Cup run. Middlesbrough got to the final. Do you remember how they got to the final? Uh, yes, Chesterfield in the semis. Chesterfield in the semis. They initially drew three all with Chesterfield in the first semi-final. Okay, so... Oh, it's that game? Yeah, Middlesbrough versus Chesterfield, 3-3. Three, three. I can name a Chesterfield player. I can name one as well. I bet we can name the same player. <laughs> they, I'm going to say it now. Oh, I think I'll name two. There's two that you should be able to... Not should be. There's two that I have heard of. Oh, yes. But, okay. Yeah, I think I but, can get two. Okay, well, let's... Tell you what, do what, what do we bend the rules? Michael, do you, want, do you tell you what? If I, if I guess the two Chesterfield players, then you've got to go with two after. What? That, <laughs> no, that, absolutely that not. No, because no, no, I don't. I don't. You probably are going to guess the only two I've got. I'm just shooting myself in the face from the first. <laughs> Michael's guess. got the same two, Chris. Oh, oh, you've got the same two. Okay, well, I mean, it. I would. I I have two Chesterfield players. I'd be amazed if at least one of them wasn't the same. All right, uh, go on. Who who wants to go first? Michael, you go first. Okay. Uh, I know Sean Dyche played in that game. Yes. Was that one of your uh, scores? Kevin Davies. Yeah, yeah. so that's Chesterfield, Sean done. And Kevin right, Davies. let's get on to Middlesbrough then. <laughs> uh, Fabrizio Ravanelli. Correct. Unino. <laughs> the only person in yeah. the UK who pronounces it that way, but yes. Uh, Emerson. Um, as a skull calls him. Craig Hignett, didn't he score? Uh he did score. How did you know that Craig Higgins wow. scored in that game? I can't remember. It's one of the few weird things I remember. Gianluca Festa? Correct. Um, Nigel Pearson? Incorrect. Uh, I think... I th- I th- I'm, uh, was he there then? I'm going to say Mikel Beck. Correct. Oh. Um... Anyone I can think of right now, Robbie Musto. You can say it's correct. Oh, great shout! Uh, I'm struggling now. I mean, I know he was there. I doubt. Okay, Clayton Blackmore. He came on for Mikel Beck after oh. 39 minutes. Strange decision. A nil-nil. Presumably an injury. Must have been an injury. Um. Um, um, it's my guess, isn't it? I, I don't have anyone else, so uh, I'm just going to say Brian, Brian Robson. No, I couldn't, couldn't pick the goalie. No, incorrect. Goal Is that your second failure, Michael? No, it's my first failure. <coughs> Skull to win it or lose it. Oh, flipping heck. So we haven't picked one of the centre-backs. We haven't got one of the centre-backs. Janu Oh, Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm back in the room. Oh, I can't even. Oh, the goalie's going to kill me because I know it. 
I can't think of it, so I'm just going to go Mark Schwarzer, even though. Incorrect. Uh, I was going to say, say I was going to say Curtis Fleming. Correct. Yes. Uh, we also had that? Vladimir Kinder or Steve Vickers. Who was the goalkeeper? Who was the keeper? Ben Roberts. No. Yes. Do you, want, do you want the other nine Chesterfields? Yeah. There'll be someone at home that'll be annoyed if we don't. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> There's a lovely lower league field to when they've all got their little flags next to them, and ten of them are English and one of them's from Northern Ireland. <laughs> that, yeah. um, Billy Mercer, Chris Perkins, Sean Dyche, Mark Williams, Mark Jules, Tom Curtis, Jamie Hewitt, Paul Holland, Kevin Davis, John Howard, Andy Morris. They've also got a collection of the 11 most boring names. That any, <laughs> like, there's literally not a name there that isn't... Like, listen, listen to this again. These are 11 of the least memorable names you've ever heard. Billy Mercer, Chris Perkins, Sean Dyche, fair enough, Mark Williams, Mark Jules, Tom Curtis, Jamie Hewitt, <laughs> Paul Holland, Kevin Davis, John Howard, and Andy Morris. Yeah. An astonishing lineup of names. That just sounds like they were gens, like made up players, just because yeah. like it's by some fluke in the database, a team of any <laughs> players, and it got to the semi. <laughs> also on the bet, coming on, Darren Carr and Chris Beaumont. Wow. Um, well, I suppose yeah. whoever won, Michael, you've got to choose Blue Day, right? Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. For Suggs, I was going to pick Come on your Reds again, but yeah, let's, oh, pick, that let's, would be, that let's, be. let's pick the yeah Blue Day, an unedited Blue Day. We'll be back next week with more of the same. Until then, Robbie Slater. See you later. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.